0: Hi, I'm Joel McMahon, the pastor at San Philip United Methodist Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our latest podcast. As we get started today, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have given us the Bible as a guide to uh, knowing you and uh, a way to speak to us in ways that uh, we can't hear from you in other ways. We pray, O Lord, that you will be with us now as we gather together in Jesus' name and look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson is found in the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, beginning with the seventh verse. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again but the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water, springing up to everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word at this time. And, uh, uh, you know, I this is just a, a fascinating uh, passage, and it's one that uh, pretty well emulates a lot of uh, discussions that uh, people can have about the Bible. You know, The other day I ran across uh, an account of a professional golfer named Tommy Boat, and he was playing in Los Angeles and had a caddy with a reputation of constant chatter. And before they teed off, Bolt told him, don't say a word to me, and if I ask you something, just answer yes or no. And during the round, Bolt found the ball next to a tree where he had to hit it under a branch, over a lake, and under the green. And he got down on his knees, and he looked through the trees, and he sized up the shot. And what do you think, he asked the caddy, five iron? No, Mr. Bolt, the caddy said. What do you mean, not a five iron? Uh, and then Bolt said, Watch this shot. And the caddy rolled his eyes and said, No, Mr. Bolt. But Bolt hit the ball, and the ball went exactly the way it was planned to go, and it stopped about two feet from the hole. He turned to his caddy, handed him the five iron, and said, Now what do you think about that? You can talk now." Mr. Bolt, the caddy said, that wasn't your ball. Well, I'm afraid that a lot of us treat God the way Mr. Bolt treated his caddy that day. And as a result, we live our entire lives thinking that we know better than the Lord, living our lives in the way we think they should be lived, and totally missing even the real point of life. We live life the best we can with wrong assumptions. And the thing is, we can be doing things that we think are just excellent, and they totally miss the point and don't count at all. Now, I'll tell you, I used to think that the Bible was just a, a book of history and literature, that it was kind of a relic from our past that actually kept people from really getting to know God. My thinking was, why do people talk about God when really what they're following is just a book? And I would also wonder sometimes why doesn't God get in touch with us if He really is there? I mean, why doesn't He just make a general announcement around the world about what He really wants from us and let us know that He's real? And then, when I came to know him, I realized that I was living life like Tommy Bolt was playing golf that day. I might be doing the right things and doing them quite well, but none of it mattered, because I was playing the game of life with the wrong ball. It was verses from the Bible that actually brought me to the Lord when I desperately cried out to him at that point I knew he was real and he was out there somewhere but I didn't know how to make contact and I was so frustrated and I decided I just I just prayed God if you're real let me know and the Lord answered my prayer and in the answer to that prayer you know what he did he brought his word To mind, I had gone to Sunday school, I had read the Bible, but uh, all of a sudden, I just—I was laying in bed one night, and I was thinking about this, and and all of a sudden, the Scripture came to mind: "Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God." And I realized I was not childlike and my approach to the Christian faith. And so whenever I decided, okay, I'm just gonna try to take this like a little child would and just take it as it is, immediately the next passage that came to mind is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, this was Jesus talking And I knew that Jesus, the church said, the Bible said he died for our sins. And all of a sudden I realized that what separated me from God was my sin. And I didn't know how. (coughs) I didn't know how to uh, get through that barrier. And I realized that I couldn't get through it. I was separated from God and I knew that I was never going to go to heaven as long as I was separated from him. And in desperation, knowing that somehow Jesus had the answer, I just cried out, Jesus, help me. And all of a sudden, he was right there in the room. And I found out later that what I did was found right here in the Bible. The Bible says, he who who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I called upon his name, he came to me and he saved me. He confirmed his word and he's done that through um, the rest of my life. Now when I preached last, we examined how the Bible is our bread, that it's nourishment to us, and I want to show you this morning how it's water. Now just to use an analogy, bread represents food and we know that it's the Word of God and so this this Bible any Bible is our nourishment so how long could you go without food some experts say forty to eighty dollars how long could you go without water uh, somewhere between the range of seven to twenty one days but if the Bible is food and water spiritually how long spiritually can you really last without this book? Now, I know that our spirits are saved and sealed. They're saved by the blood. They're sealed by the spirit. But I think that there are a lot of malnourished and dehydrated Christians out there. I don't think they're eating their bread and drinking their water daily like they're supposed to be. And I want to pick up on where we were two weeks ago about the bread from heaven, and uh, in the scripture it says God gave him bread from heaven, but the true bread is Jesus, and we know Jesus is the word, but I want to show you how God ties bread and water together in meaning the word of God. In Psalm 105 40, it says the people ask." And he brought them quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Then it says in verse 41, he opened the rock and water gushed out. Now, there was literal bread, manna, but it represents something spiritual. Also, the rock represents something spiritual. There was a literal rock. There was literal bread. There was literal water. Water came out of a rock but it actually says that this rock followed them. Now, Halloween is right around the corner, and here in our neighborhood, uh, as I walk uh, around, you can see, as I drive around, you can see just all sorts of crazy, supposedly scary decorations up, Uh, people trying to, to put up things that are scary for Halloween. But I don't know if you have ever seen a rock following anybody. But I think that would scare you quite a bit. That would be one of the scariest things that could happen, don't you think? Now there are things that you can think about in the Bible all day long. And if you're not born of the Spirit, you're not going to be able to understand them because our God is a supernatural God. Remember, there were actually... 40 writers in this book, but it only has one author, and God prepared this book for us over a period of 1,500 years. This book is a spiritual book. This book is a a spiritual book written by a spiritual being, the greatest of all spiritual beings the natural, and he's written it for spiritual beings, two spiritual beings. The natural mind cannot understand this book. It can only be spiritually discerned. You see, it's not simply a history book. It's not a compilation of books, uh, uh, nor is it a work of literature. It cannot be truly understood in any of these ways. It's an autobiography, not a biography, autobiography from God. God himself gave us this book, and we need to read it. And so we've got that he opened the rock and water gushed out, and now we have a New Testament scripture, and uh, here is where we find that this has spiritual meaning. In 1 Corinthians 10.4 it says, and they all drank that same water. Listen to this, spiritual drink. But you say they drank a literal water, but the Bible says here it's a spiritual drink, and watch, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And by the way, the cloud that went before them by day and the fire by night was the Holy Spirit, the cloud and the fire. Just read how many times cloud and fire represent the Holy Spirit. Okay, that rock was Christ, and so the water represents the Word. Now, today, there is a war of words going on, and we have to choose whose word we're going to believe. On the one hand, God is telling you what actually happened and what's true, And Satan is trying to tell you, did God really say that? Do you really think that's true? Don't you think God's holding out on you? You see, it's a war of words. Now, I want you to remember three words today that describe this war of words. Those three words are flood, famish, and fill. Satan wants to flood you with his words. He wants to famish you, to starve you from the word of God. And God wants to fill you with his word. And so Satan wants to flood and famish and God wants to fill. So first, let's look at the fact that Satan tries to flood us. And here's in Revelation 12 verse 9, we see where the where we see well this is where we see that Satan is trying to flood us with words. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Now, it's really not hard to figure out who he's talking about, is it? The devil, Satan, dragon, serpent who deceives the whole world, he was cast out and the angels were cast out with him. Not all the angels were cast out with him. It says that about a third of the angels of heaven uh, were cast out with Satan. Now watch what the serpent does, and I want to bring in another type and shadow for you here, and that's the woman. And the woman represents the church. But watch what he does in verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So, okay, what comes out of your mouth? Words. Satan spews water. Words out of his mouth after the church to cause you to be carried away. And many have been carried away in the church. Right now, the church is under attack about God's word. Satan is trying to uh, cast doubt on on God's word because if he can do that, he can cast he can just destroy the church. And so are we as individuals under attack. Have you ever had a flood of words come against you? They may come from other people though they may come from your own stinking thinking or both. You're not going to make it you're going to die early. People in your family die early. Uh, You have this disease in your family. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make 50. Now that really strikes home with me. I can remember when I turned 35, I went into a deep funk because several people in my family had died in their 50s. And so I thought, man, when you're 50, it's just all over. And so I figured I just had about 15 years left to live. Now you gotta realize, well anyway, uh, and so I just went in this funk, but then the Lord was gracious to move me to a little community when there are a bunch of Octo and Nonogenarians still running around and running campaigns for mayor and winning walkathons and all sorts of stuff. And I began, the Lord used that, that location to help me to see that life's not over at 50. And if some of you are thinking that you just don't have much time to live, it's not based on how many years you have left. It's how you live the years that you have. But uh, anyway, uh, (laughs) all the attacks of Satan, he might be telling you right now, you might not even make it to the end of this sermon. Just a flood of harmful words You married the wrong person. You're in the wrong marriage. You're in the wrong job. God doesn't like you. Tithing doesn't work. There's a flood coming against you. God's getting you back for your sin. Now that's one of the real zingers from the enemy, isn't it? Have you ever heard that one? God's punishing you for your sin. If you think that, please hear me. Because theologically, God is never going to punish you for your sin if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because he already punished Jesus on your behalf. He's not going to punish you and punish the Lord for the same thing. And God confirmed this by raising Jesus Christ from the dead that he counts what Jesus did on the cross as payment for your sin. Now, listen to what David says about experiencing this flood from the enemy in Psalm 69. And it's a psalm that's it's good to go to. It's a good model prayer for anyone who's uh, going through tribulations in life. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink deep in mire where there is no standing. Now, we... Uh, once had a piece of property that had a lake on it, and the lake was uh, the bottom was just muck and mire. And uh, you could step on what you were thinking was uh, the firm bottom, and then all of a sudden your foot would just go through into this silty, clay like mass that was like it was like uh, uh, quicksand. You put one foot in, you try it, draw out, and just pull your other foot in further and you could get stuck there, and it was really hard to pull yourself out. Sometimes you'd have to get help to get out of it. And so that's mire. And so this is the sort of situation that David is describing right here. Deliver me out of the mire. Let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me. That's his enemies. Out of the deep waters, let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. Let not the pit, which represents hell itself, shut its mouth on me. The floods are coming through the words of the enemy. Now, we know this is so because he speaks of being the object of reproach and ridicule that people are making jokes about him. The flood represents the words of the enemy. Now, Psalm 93 covers this same sort of flood. He talks about floods lifting up their waves, but here in Psalm 93:4, we see David's faith. But the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. It says the floods have lifted up their voice, but then basically says, yeah, the floods have lifted up their voice, but his voice is louder than their voice. You see, they can talk. The floods lift up their voice. The floods are trying to get me carried away. So now, yeah, God can talk. Satan can talk. But we've got another problem, and that is the fact that you can talk. Let me ask you about this. Has your mouth ever gotten you in trouble? Uh, I asked that this morning uh, earlier in, uh, in church, and all the people started looking at each other, and I just took that as a yes. You see, deep waters, floods, represent words. And we need to know the word of God is a fountain. Jesus called it the water of life. Floods, deep waters represent the enemy's words. But watch, I'm going to tell you, your words are water also. And you can drown yourself and you can drown others. I'm going to show you in Proverbs 18, 4, it says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. You can talk yourself into falling. You can talk yourself into failing. The word proverb that says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. And then Proverbs 18 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. Does that mean? that I could speak and someone could die and that I can speak and someone else can live? Yes, and we all do it every day. We can speak words that cut and hurt and demoralize and destroy. And we can also speak words that heal and encourage and reconcile. In the war of words we're talking about today, God speaks words of life Satan speaks words of death, and we have the power to agree with one or the other. I can agree with the one who speaks life over me, or I can agree with the one who speaks death over me. And it says that death and life are in the power of my tongue. And there's only one thing that can defeat the floods. And let me read it to you in Isaiah fifty-nine nineteen. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift a standard against him. Now, there's a lot of people today that don't want any standards. And that's a part of the war of the words that's going on. Moral standards. It's a part of the the battle that's going on in my own denomination. And our denomination is about to just blow apart because They can't agree that sin is sin. They can't agree what is sin. There are a lot of people in in our denomination today that are calling evil good and good evil. There are a lot of people in our whole country today that are calling good evil and evil good. This is the standard. This is the standard. Three times that we know of and probably other times, three times we have recorded Satan came in like a flood against Jesus. Jesus had already fasted for 40 days and he told him, why don't you turn this rock into bread? And I imagine after 40 days of not eating, that's a pretty good temptation. But three times, listen, it's so important, three times Jesus quoted scripture to overcome temptation. It is written, it is written, It is written. And these words have not changed. So I have a question for you. If the Son of God uses the Bible to overcome temptation, how much more do you need to use the Bible to overcome temptation in your life? The Son of God himself, when he gets tempted, says, Let me tell you how I'm going to come against this temptation. Not with my own intellect or my own thoughts. I'm just going to quote the Bible. It is written, it is written, it is written. And the tempter left. So, the first point, Satan tries to flood us. The next point is Satan tries to famish us. He tries to starve us. He tries to drive us away from God's word. He doesn't want us to hear the word of God because that's what will deliver us and that's what will save us. You see, God's words are right here. The problem is us hearing them. We don't listen and we try to be successful playing with the wrong ball, listening to other words the words of the Lord. Listen to what it says in Joshua 1.8. The person who meditates on it will be successful in everything he does. You hear that? In everything he does. In Psalm 1, it says, the man who meditates on the word of God will be like a tree planted by the water whose leaves don't wither and whatever he does, prospers. Whatever he does, prospers. Now, this isn't talking about hyper-prosperity. It's not saying that you're gonna get a bunch of money and drive a certain car and have gold chains and all that. That's not what this is about. The Hebrew word for prosper has two definitions. One is a person who has a burden, and you get behind that person, and you help that person carry the burden up the hill. And the other is you actually take the burden off the person and you carry it for them. You see, when God prospers you, he takes your burden and he carries it for you. I think that's pretty cool. Whatever he does prospers. Marriage, family, children, health, finances, career, If you meditate on the Word of God, whatever you do will prosper. If we believe that, it would change our habits, wouldn't it? We'd be meditating on this book a whole lot more, wouldn't we? Satan, the Bible says, comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. He doesn't want you to prosper. He wants you to die spiritually and physically. He wants to famish you. He wants to starve you. He wants to keep you dehydrated. He wants to keep you from the goodness of God's word. That's what the parable of the sower is all about. Whenever the, it says that the birds came and and picked the seed, took the seed away, or it's the, the shallow soil, the soil wasn't prepared to receive the seed properly. It's talking about God's word and how we take it into our lives. So Satan tries to flood us and he tries to famish us. And here's point number three, Jesus wants to fill us. He wants to fill us with the word of God. First Corinthians second chapter, I quoted this a while ago, but let me uh, just go over it again. Verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Now don't let it surprise you when people who don't know Christ argue against the Bible. Because listen to what it says again and as we continue on in uh, 1 Corinthians 2nd chapter. They do not receive the things of God, for they are foolishness to them, nor can he know. Now, this Greek word for know means to understand. Uh, the, uh, the natural man can't even understand these words because they're spiritually discerned, okay? In the account that we read earlier today at the Woman of the Well, we see this clearly. There are conversations going on on two levels. The natural level and the spiritual level. And people who read the Bible just with their natural eyes, they're never going to understand it. You have to read it with your spiritual eyes open. And you can only do that when you've been born again. Now, this is the woman at the well in John 4, 7. It says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me? The Samaritan woman for Jews, asked the Samaritan woman, For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, Now listen to this. Can you imagine Jesus saying this? If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The thing is, he's saying, if you knew who you were talking to right now, you'd be Asking for different things. And I just love this story. So you see, there's a spiritual conversation going on on Jesus' side. He's talking spiritually. Now watch her go right back to the natural conversation. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. In other words, logic says, science says, the well is deep. And you don't have anything to draw with. And then I like this, where do you get that living water? And watch this, are you greater than our father Jacob? Duh, of course he is. Our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock, Jesus answering to her said, whoever drinks this water, this natural water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the spiritual water, the water that I give, will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. Do you see two levels, the natural and the spiritual? So don't let anybody talk you out of the Bible being the word of God. Because if they're natural-minded, if they haven't come to Christ yet, if they're not reading this book with spiritual eyes, this is how foolish their argument is. Well, you don't have anything to draw it. How are you going to get water out? And Jesus says, I'm not talking about natural water. I'm talking about spiritual water. He says it will become a fountain on the inside of you. You see, Satan wants to flood us, but Jesus wants to put a fountain inside of you. By the way, uh, what's great, the fountain washes from the inside out. We always try to take care of the outward things in our lives instead of reading of the the word of God uh, to get in the fountain and letting the fountain wash us. Okay, this book, will bring cleansing to your soul. It says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her. Cleanse with the washing of water by the word. Okay, so our spirits are cleansed by the blood, but our souls are cleansed by the word. Okay, let me say this again. Our spirits are cleansed by the blood, but our souls are cleansed by the word. And you know where the war is? It's in your mind, in your will, and in your emotions. It's in your soul. If you're having a problem with thoughts and you say, I just can't overcome these thoughts of pride or greed or bitterness or anger or lust or whatever it is, it's because you're not washing with the word. Let me say it another way, you're not taking a bath. You read this book every day and it will cleanse, it will sanctify, it will cleanse your soul. There's a flood, there's a famine and there's a filling. In other words, Satan wants to flood us with the wrong words. He wants to famish us from God's word. He doesn't want us to know God's word, but Jesus wants to fill us with the word of God. Just think about it. We couldn't go very long without water. I wanna encourage you. I think one of the number one attacks of the enemy today is to keep us out of God's word. So I want to encourage you, set aside some time this week. Spend some time in God's word. Read his word and let God's word wash you and cleanse you and refresh you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us this day. And uh, I'm... uh, uh, would, would just like to extend an invitation. If you're ever in San Philip, come by and worship with us. We'd love to have you. If not, hopefully we'll see you here again next week. Bye-bye and God bless.